Superman Legacy adds a trio of heroes, including a favorite of mine, Oppenheimer, director Blast CGI, Hugh Jackman is suiting up in comics-accurate style, and we've got more trailers than a mobile home park. That news and more awaits you after this. Welcome to Multiverse News, your source for information about all your favorite fictional universes. My name is Matthew Carroll. And today with me, uh, I have our three most common three contributors here. The th- my three co-hosts here on uh, Multiverse News. We have Haley Hobbs from Source Pages. How you doing, Haley? I'm great. Happy to be a commoner amongst royalty. <laughs> a commoner? <laughs> I think. What did you I call say? You call us common. It's <laughs> <laughs> not. I said contributor. My three footstools, I? I believe, is what you said. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say? Co- I think I said. Co- I started to say commenter. Sorry. Sorry. Okay, sure. Co- not commenter. <laughs> but yes, that's what I meant. I meant commenter. Yeah. No, I know. Of course. Napoleon is not until later on in the show, you guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna talk about Napoleon a little later, which I'm. That looks cool. Uh, and uh, Jay Scotty St. Clair, you heard, just heard his voice, so he doesn't get to say hi. He's oh. a commenter, and I get to say when he says no. I'm just kidding. How you doing, Jay Scotty? Uh, I'm great. Delighted to be here in such esteemed company. Common though it may be. <laughs> <laughs> and Jay Sisson of Commute the Podcast. How you doing, Jay? I am happy to be here as always. Commoner or not. Surf, <laughs> peasant, whatever you call us. <laughs> Commenter. And then I said change it to contributor. I think. I don't even remember now. I was it was all a haze. I was drunk, but I'm better now. Uh we got a lot of good news to get to, so you guys ready to just dive in, talk about all these things? Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Up first, according to reports, James Gunn's Superman Legacy continues to fill out its cast with three new notable additions. Nathan Fillion will portray Green Lantern Guy Gardner. Uh, Isabella Merced, most known for Dora and the Lost City of Gold, is set to appear as Hawk Girl. And X-Men First Class is Eddie Gathegi uh, joins the fray as Mr. Terrific. That's a lot of superpowered folk for David Sweat's burgeoning soups to contend with. Do these cast and character announcements take our hype for this flick up, up, and away? Man, James Gunn is just having fun. I mean, these are this is a fun casting list. We knew Nathan Fillion was going to get in to one of these movies eventually. I mean, him and James Gunn, they're boys. He appears in all of his movies, even if it's just some kind of small role here and there. So that was coming at some point. I did not expect that it would be this early and that he would be this Green Lantern character. But James Gunn has come out and he said this is going to be a story about Superman where he's young, but he's also already in a world of superpowered people. And he was not lying because (laughs) that's exactly what's happening here. But I think this is... I think it definitely raises my uh, intrigue in this movie, which I was already very interested in. We're still two years away from the premiere date, but the fact that we're talking about it this early and we're already talking about casting with excitement, it it does help me get a little bit more excited and uh, ready to move on from this old kind of DC drama and hopefully bring into something new. I think this is a really fun and interesting cast all around. Eddie Gathecki. And uh, Isabella Merced, I'm sure, are wonderful. I've seen them a very little bit, and they're good. Uh, but 
the 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 headline here for me in my heart is Nathan Fillion. Uh, <laughs> Nathan Fillion plays uh, Malcolm Reynolds on Firefly, one of my favorite series of all time, and I love him on that. And I've been wanting him to come into the MCU, which he did pretty uh, substantially in Guardians Three. But I I'm, I was almost mad at that role because like it was great, it was played wonderfully, but it kind of like put a stamp that he won't be anything else in the MCU. Um, but uh, this is great news. He will get to be a major player in uh, in the uh, DC universe. Those of you who are a little more DC knowledgeable, Guy Gardner kind of has a checkered history in the comics, right? He's the Green Lantern that sort of has good time. He's, he's a hero, but he has some bad, like, dark times as well. Uh, I think that's more Hal Jordan who takes a turn towards the dark oh, side. Okay. But okay. Guy Gardner does have a checkered past in terms of his reception by the audience, I will say. He mm. tends to be a little bit more of a comedic and sarcastic Green Lantern, so some people love him, some people hate him. Okay, okay. I, it's Hal Jordan I was thinking of. I'm not very up on the Green Green Lanterns, but I was kind of hoping that he would be one that sarcastic and funny sounds exactly appropriate for Nathan Fillion, but he can play dark too. So I was kind of like, I kind of would rather a Hal Jordan. I think that would be more exciting to me. Um, but I'm just excited to have Nathan Fillion in the, in any of these universes in a major role. That's exciting. Is Nathan Fillion the most universally liked person in the nerd? <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> he is. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like our King. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Everybody loves him. This is actually isn't the first time Nathan Fillion has portrayed a Green Lantern. He's actually portrayed Hal Jordan in the past in the Flash, uh, Flashpoint Paradox, the Justice League animated film that was uh, circa 2013. He got to play Hal Jordan there. So good call. Yeah. Um, when I first saw this news, I was actually I found myself kind of surprised because we know that this is going to take place like really on and early on in Superman's career, and we've knowing that he's going to be a young Superman just kind of figuring things out. So the fact that we're getting this many, like, superpowered people uh, was a little surprising to me. But the more I sat with it, uh, the more I think it kind of makes sense because James Gunn was very clear that this first phase for the DCU is going to be gods and monsters. So it makes sense that he would want to focus on these characters with such otherworldly powers. And I think it starts to help us know what this landscape of this new DCU is going to look like because thinking of Guy Gardner, he's actually the third like legacy human character to have the mantle of Green Lantern. So that gives us some indication that while Superman may be fresh, the world of, you know, these superheroic ongoings is not necessarily a new thing. And then um, I will say that Mr. Terrific kind of stands out to me because talking about like these otherworldly worldly and godly powers, he kind of stands out as the like, He's more technology-based. Like, he created his own equipment and, and weapons that he uses. So he will definitely be a bit of an outlier. But um, I, I do recognize I, – I, I don't know if it's Eddie or Edie Gathebi, I think his name is. But I do recognize oh, okay. him from uh, X-Men First Class. He played Darwin in that. And it was a pretty small role, but definitely an impactful role. And he definitely, you know, lended a lot of um, gravitas to that role. So I'm excited to see him join the fray here. Yeah, 100%. James Gunn must kind of listen to our show because he's been dropping all of this casting like, you know, an hour and a half before we go live. Right. <laughs> it was almost the exact same time that he dropped the uh, Superman and Lois Lane casting, just setting us up yeah. to just throw it right out there and be one of the first to cover it. Yeah. So thank you, thank James you. Gunn. Thank you, James. We, we see you. It. <laughs> our buddy Jim over there uh, dropping, I don't know. 
Oh, I can't think of anybody who less looks like a gem. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Up next, Oppenheimer director Christopher Nolan confirmed that the soon-to-be-released film has zero CGI shots. Seems disturbing when you think about uh, the movie is about the atomic bomb, uh, but Nolan wants scenes to feel seamless, so he used old-school movie magic with new technology for IMAX, using forced perspective to film the recreation of the Trinity Test, the first ever test explosion of the nuclear bomb in 1945. Nolan is known for not including CGI in films, and surely this will lead to a movie that won't bomb, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think this is cool. We're in this age of VFX artists saying that they're being overworked and underpaid, and it's been in all the headlines and all these major franchise movies, and so that Nolan is very dedicated to this practical way of Filmmaking is pretty admirable, especially in 2023 when computers can do things so much faster and that he used forced perspective to drop the tiny atom bomb, I think is very interesting. And if you've seen the trailers, you've seen a little bit of the effect of it. It's very effective. Like I'm definitely planning on going into that movie and feeling rocked by the atomic bomb and feeling very um, overwhelmed by the effects of it. So I commend him for this, and I think that it's just a really good thing when we're facing all these issues with the artists and the industry saying what they're saying. Yeah, he has come out too and talked about how you will be able to really feel this scene. Like you'll be able to feel the explosion sitting in the theater, that they've uh, synced it up with the sound in a way that this is a very important part of the movie making experience to him. It's not just the film, but it's the immersion of the film and the CG and the CGI or lack of CGI, I guess, in his case, and the uh, the sound and all of that coming together in a certain way. Uh, if you've seen the viral shots going around of the IMAX uh, f- film reel of Oppenheimer. I think it weighs about 600 pounds. It's gigantic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's, you know, that's a testament to the craft of the man. But I think it's funny to see the marketing for Barbie and then see the marketing for Oppenheimer that this is the marketing for Oppenheimer. They're like, well, we don't use any CGI and our IMAX reel <laughs> is really big. And um, <laughs> you'll be able to feel the vibrations from the bomb in the movie theater. All right, go see, go mm-hmm. see Oppenheimer. Goodbye. <laughs> our reel is bigger than your real Barbie. <laughs> like uh, Nolan just feels like a hipster filmmaker when I hear him describe all these things. Like it feels like <laughs> we, we I carry around this big equipment that can achieve very similar things to the other <laughs> thing. Like I understand, and I and I actually am astounded by the filmmaking of this. Like Force Perspective is amazing, and doing this all practically in camera is like insane um and i love that idea but it does kind of feel like that like that whole we didn't use anything modern in this feels very (laughs) like like, it feels very vintage retro hipster like (laughs) but he's but he's putting it on imax which is like the biggest technology you know like the highest form of the technology which is just kind of funny this is why the barbenheimer meme is even more funny like this makes it more funny is that people really that that it's such a joke to so many people uh there's a Story that came out this week that AMC is reporting that at least 20,000 of their members have bought double feature tickets for this movie to see mm-hmm. it in the same day. So <laughs> it's great. already so taken good. off. And all of this, like, we didn't use CGI. We take it super serious. It just makes it more funny. I'm sorry. It yeah. does. 
it really feels like two different tables at the at lunch or something. Like it's like the jocks and socias at one table and like the nerds over there talking about Oppenheimer and like we're going to watch a film festival of both. I love it. I saw a meme on the internet today. I should have sent it to you guys and it was like every 15 years we have to make a choice and it was Jaws 2 and oh shoot. It was like these double features kind of like this and it was it was very funny. It was like Jaws and Hocus Pocus was the next one against something else. And then the next one I thought wasn't very good, but that was Barbie and Oppenheimer and I was like that's hysterical. <laughs> that's great. When I first saw this headline, my first thought was Christopher Nolan's going to be grateful that we finally have a story where we don't talk about Barbie. We can just talk about Oppenheimer, <laughs> but I should have known better. I should have oh, known yeah. better that, you know, Barbie was going to we can talk about Barbie. I watched the Margot Robbie Ryan Gosling puppy interview with BuzzFeed <laughs> today. Always yeah. worthwhile. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but I, I can only really uh, echo the sentiments of everything that's been said. It, as a person that uh, does dig, you know, special effects and the behind the scenes, I really do look forward to like the robust behind the scene features we can see of how this was actually achieved and like thinking about the force perspective, like the miniature scales that they must have used. Like I, I'm really excited to finally get to see that when the time comes. But, you know, going back to Oppenheimer's marketing and um, thinking about Barbie, I think it really is a missed opportunity that they have not used the 1982 song from the Gap Band you dropped a bomb on me, baby, because that would be just like so perfect, you know. That would be really good. You know what's funny about it is that Oppenheimer doesn't even have to do any marketing because the Barbenheimer stuff has mm-hmm. is like doing it all for them. Like they don't yeah. have to put any more money into this because right. the internet has created it with the Barbie marketing stuff that's come out. The only marketing that Oppenheimer does is every like week, they just release another picture of Cillian Murphy and he's just like, his hair's all messed up and he's like, he's got like a thousand yard stare or whatever. And they're just like Oppenheimer. (laughs) Like that's the only thing they do. They're just, just pop another one up there, make him look like he's struggling with this emotionally. (laughs) (laughs) Portray emotional struggle. And that's like the whole thing. That's all they're trying to do. I would love it if Christopher Nolan just, you know, finally relented and, and like you know played into it and like i think there's a real opportunity i'm stuck on this song but thinking about barbie again it's like <laughs> you dropped a bomb on me bobby <laughs> you dropped a yeah. bomb on me it needs to happen <laughs> yes yes like it i like it we can we can make that happen <laughs> yeah. for the internet <laughs> Uh, okay, Deadpool 3 actor, writer, and producer Ryan Reynolds broke the internet on Monday, revealing a first look of Hugh Jackman's yellow, comics-accurate Wolverine suit on the set of the upcoming movie. The yellow Wolverine suit has been referred to and joked about for years in other X-Men-related movies, but it seems it will finally be donned by Wolvie himself. And in more Deadpool 3 news, Jennifer Garner is set to return to her role of Electra after nearly 20 years. What do you think, bubs? <laughs> okay, I'm going to take this opportunity to kind of get on a soapbox and I may get some flack <laughs> for it. And this may not be the take people were expecting, but... As much as I'm excited to see Hugh Jackman come back, I was always a little disappointed because, like, this is Deadpool's first foray into the MCU. And I've always kind of, I thought it would be a nice opportunity to get a new actor to play Wolverine, especially with, like, the incredible swan song that Logan was. Um, You know, Taron Egerton comes to mind as one of, like, my, my first picks. But... It is great to see the classic, the iconic blue and yellow suit, and I think they have adapted it very faithfully. 
uh, much like you know the Deadpool suit has, even though we've seen some changes with that with the Deadpool 3 iteration. But the news about Jennifer Garner really sticks out to me, and that's kind of what um, I find myself focusing on because it kind of gives – it kind of renews my – interest a little bit because I think that just solidifies the fact that like we know that some members of the TVA are involved as well. So that really gives me hope and confidence that even though this is connected to the MCU, it's going to be doing its own thing. So while Hugh Jackman can pop up and be Wolverine, it doesn't necessarily mean he's going to be the Wolverine for the MCU going forward. And there's still an Mm -hmm. opportunity for a newcomer or, you know, just a, a somebody that can play the role for longer to step in. And, And like I said, like, you know, Jennifer Garner, that Electra movie was not very good. Um, I may revisit it just to see how it held up with this news going on. But uh, I, I think, you know, it's it's perfectly fitting for Deadpool, like kind of poking fun at some of these uh, outings in the past that were not so successful. And uh, the fact that she's willing to participate, I, I think, you know, sounds like a lot of fun. This cast keeps getting bigger and bigger and more and more people from the uh, the older franchises keep uh, showing up. And I, I, I think it's going to be a movie that just like there's a lot of uh, theories and, and people talking about it could be Deadpool kills the Fox universe or whatever, like just sure. goes because that's, you know, comics. He does Deadpool kills the Marvel universe. And so. Uh, it, this could be really focused on the past, and I know I totally get where you're coming from, Scotty, wanting it to step forward into the future. And what is the MCU? And that's what we were all talking about. Like, how cool it would be to see him step into the MCU and see like how his fourth wall breaking comments on the MCU. Like, that's something sure. we've been talking about for years, ever since this deal was made. And it's it, it's sort of disappointing. We're not, it sounds like we're going to get less of that and more of a like. You know, a traipsing through the past of like Marvel movie history, almost. Right. Um, and th- it'll it could be really cool and fun, uh, but it, it's it's not what I was expecting for sure. Yeah, I think Ryan Reynolds intentionally put this out because the leaks are a springin' for Deadpool three right now. Uh, if you are sensitive to spoilers, just be very careful on the internet uh, when you search for information about Deadpool three because there's a lot out there. The almost the entire script has leaked online, uh, and I think Ryan Reynolds kind of knew like I can either let some like you know, Zapruder film-esque grainy photo from a drone of a tiny little yellow speck make its way onto the internet and people be like, Wolverine, cool costume confirmed or whatever, and let that be the narrative. Or I could just go over to Instagram and put a HD picture of it up and then I can kind of control what the story looks like. But there's a lot out there about this movie already. Ryan Reynolds, though, can clearly get anyone to do anything because <laughs> the cast is just uh, g- the fact that Jennifer Garner's coming back as Electra is crazy. <laughs> like she doesn't really even mm-hmm. act anymore uh, that much, and let alone to to be able to get her into this into Electra. I mean, this is a role that she. If you watched uh, back in the day, twenty years ago, there was a show called Alias that she played like the spy, and that's uh, that's what really made her famous. And then that w- that was what catapulted her into this Electra role. So for her to come back to do that, like that, just is a testament to the power of Ryan Reynolds and how he <laughs> clearly <laughs> is very well liked and very well connected in Hollywood. Well, and it's also a movie that is widely panned so a lot of times actors don't really want to revisit those roles or like oh that's the past i don't want to talk about that Electra was not well received if you remember (laughs) not at all not at all so it's it's really interesting that she's willing to come back for it for sure i don't really like ryan reynolds or jennifer garner (laughs) 
Why are you so broken? No, I know. I got to defend broken. Jennifer Garner because she's from West Virginia and I'm from West Virginia. You know, country roads take me home. And uh, there's, okay. a, there's a connection I, I there. That. So. Have you seen the clip of her on Conan where she tried to call him out on something he was wrong about? And she's like, you went to Harvard. And then she was like extremely incorrect about what she thought she was correcting him about. I don't know. It made me lose a little respect for her. I was like, don't get all sanctimonious on people when you're wrong. Um, so, yeah, I don't really have a whole lot to say about this. I will read Spark Sam uh, 85's feedback in the chat since we're talking about it. What if Kang sends him to take out the X-Men or something like that? Or they connect this to X-Men 97? Yeah, it's something uh, I think me and Jay talked about last night on the podcast. Uh, wasn't it? Or was it We, we did get to talk a little bit about like the Fox X-Men and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what if this isn't even the Wolverine? You know, there's been talk about like, what if that swan song, you know, of Logan, like who wants that Wolverine back? What if this isn't even that Wolverine? What if it's the Wolverine from the 97, uh, Wolverine 97 comics funny. version, like right? <laughs> it could be really, really fun. Just jump into the multiverse. Who knows what Wolverine this is? <laughs> I'm all on board for those connections that they mentioned, but. If it was Kang that contracted Deadpool, yes, he he has the you know the Mercs for money, so that makes sense. But my only umbrage with that be with that would be that that would make less Kang less Kang the Conqueror, the one that's been conquering these timelines, and more of like Kang the Delegator. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah, but he does do that, and in, in in comics, he often works with other villains. Yeah, he has like fair enough. people who work under him. Kang the Delegator. Kang the Delegator is <laughs> <That's> funny. funny. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we've got a bunch of trailers over here. Uh, we're gonna have a little section. We're gonna call Trailer Park um, <laughs> and uh, talk about talk about a little bit of this. Okay, Star Wars released a two minute trailer for Ahsoka, the Disney Plus show starring Rosario Dawson, that drops next month. It will start with a two-episode premiere, which is becoming a trend for Star Wars, with mostly positive reaction from fans. Okay. <coughs> Let me pull up my notes here. Glasses in session. Have I mentioned I'm really excited about this? Get the vest on, get the glasses on. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're upstairs. I don't have them. All right. Get so I have some on. just, like, main points about this trailer because I thought it was really awesome, and it just really blew my socks off when I saw it. Um, so first off with Ray Stevenson's character, Balin Skull, uh, I think we know he's a former Jedi. He survived Order 66. We kind of know this because he says to Ahsoka, Anakin spoke highly of you and Anakin was her master in the Clone Wars TV show. <clears throat> I am super sad. We're not going to be getting more of Ray Stevenson since he's passed away because I think that he, he sounds amazing in these clips. He looks amazing. I did have a visceral reaction when he says the phrase, we are no Jedi, because that is taken directly from an Ahsoka line in Star Wars Rebels, where she says, I am no Jedi. And I was like, how dare you keep Ahsoka's words out of your mouth, sir. <laughs> um, but I loved, I loved everything I saw of him and his, his female counterpart, Shin. Uh, then we see Morgan Elspeth from season two of The Mandalorian. She is questioned by Ahsoka in the episode The Jedi about her master Thrawn. And so that's cool that we're going to see her come back. We get some great shots of Hera and Mon Mothma, plus Hera's droid Chopper, who is my favorite droid in the entire Star Wars universe. He has a kill count higher than almost anybody else's, both mechanical and organic beings he leaves in his wake. So I love that we're getting all of those characters. And then a really big thing that they dropped, we learned that at some point Ahsoka trained Sabine Wren. 
And I find this fascinating because we're never led to believe, as long as, as far as I know, that Sabine is force sensitive. She's a Mandalorian. Uh, she at one point wielded the dark saber, which is a Mandalorian Jedi weapon. Um, but we we don't know that she's force sensitive. So I'm super interested to see where they go with that. We get a really awesome quick shot of the Pergil, which are space whales that we find in Star Wars Rebels. A whole cloth Dave Filoni uh, invention because he loves animals so much. They're very cool because they can travel through hyperspace by themselves. We also have, and this is a money shot of Thrawn from the front. We see his face. Lars Mikkelsen looks fantastic. They're doing practical effects like we were talking about with Oppenheimer. And so that's neat because that's what Star Wars is built on. And I love that they're doing that with um, both Thrawn and Hera. And then it ends with just a lot of really good quick shots um, and possibly a glimpse at World Between Worlds from Rebels Season 4. Here's the thing, though. Okay, I don't have enough time what? to watch all of Star Wars Rebels before this show, and I've never seen <laughs> it. And I know, okay, it's good. I've heard from everybody. It's good. I'm, I'm not questioning that, but I've just never seen it. So my my thought is, uh, like, do I need to try to cram that show in before this show? Because it's like four seasons, isn't it? There's a lot going on. Or, yeah, or do I need to seasons. do... And I'm, I think I'm speaking for a lot of people here when I'm asking you, do I need to do like one of the cut down, like essential episodes guides that are all over the internet or should I, is it manageable to try to cram this thing in, uh, you know, on a normal life schedule? Yeah. Five episodes. It's a lot, you know? It's a lot. I think that they've done really well with these live action shows, bringing in animated characters and things that happen in the animated shows and making them accessible to people who haven't seen those things because that's a lot of content to watch just to know who Thrawn is when Ahsoka mentions his name in season two of the Mandalorian episode five or whatever it is. Um, so I don't think you have to. I Rebels is my very favorite Star Wars property, so I think everybody should watch it. <laughs> but if you don't want to, there's probably a really good list somewhere of essential episodes um, the final two episodes of season two come to mind and kind of just like the back half of season four, where I think we're going to get a lot more things from that part of Rebels than anywhere else. Yeah. Well, first of all, I cannot speak as intelligently or passionately about <laughs> the series as, as Haley. So um, I'm glad she took the lead on this one. But I did have that moment watching this trailer where I was, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, like pointing at the screen, like they did the thing, they did the thing, because <laughs> like my familiarity with Thrawn, I have not watched Rebels in its entirety, but I knew about Thrawn from the expanded universe, and Timothy Zahn had this trilogy of books that became wildly popular that were known as Heir to the Empire. So when they said Heir to the Empire, it was like, oh, mm-hmm. they, they said the yeah. thing, they did the thing. So yeah, yeah. and I, those are I, good books yeah. to read for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I, I just thought the trailer looked amazing. It was. You know, I I couldn't help but kind of have the thought as I was watching it. Like, don't get me wrong. I there are part I I enjoy the sequel trilogy. I'm not as down on it as a lot of people. But when I was watching this, I was like, why couldn't we have gotten this instead? Like, throw that budget that they put behind that sequel trilogy for something like this. Yeah, and Mm. we all know why. But yeah, it's nice that at least now we're getting this this unified vision. The Filoni Favreau, the double F combination that's fabulous. Um, (laughs) Because, yeah, at least going forward, we know 
this is probably the trajectory Star Wars is on. So you're telling me mm-hmm. I got to read a book too? I got to read a book and watch no, a whole no, show to, to understand what's going on? <laughs> yeah, now I, nope. I, I start to feel for those people who feel the same way about Marvel, you know, <laughs> uh, because here's I, I to, to touch on what you were asking, Jay, I watched I did a big rewatch of Clone Wars in preparation and went over on the Star Wars Universe podcast to like uh, try to get ready for Obi-Wan because I just didn't know much about the Obi-Wan Anakin relationship except for the uh, prequel trilogy. And I was like, OK, going to do it, going to do it. And I did it. Uh, and I don't think I got anything else out of Obi-Wan because of it. Like so much of the show was so rev- more, much more, even though there were, clearly there's through lines from Clone Wars, yeah. so much of the show was only referential of the prequels and, and the, and the original yeah. trilogy. They weren't really referencing much of what happened in the, in the, uh, um, extended content at all, really. And so I, I kind of expect the same thing from this, even though I will probably try to do the same thing for Rebels that I did for Clone Wars. And everyone tells me it's like the, like Haley said, the best Star yeah. Wars property. <laughs> like, so I, I want to see it, but I, I just, I keep wanting to love Star Wars because so many of the <laughs> same, so many of the people I love, they're the same things they love, love Star Wars. And I just don't have the same affection for it. So like, I keep trying and I keep kind of going like, that was okay. <laughs> Matt, you would maybe like these last few episodes of season four because it is that ethical question that's mm-hmm. that's um, explored. So yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say my essential rebels episodes are the last two episodes of season two, and then episodes ten through sixteen of season four. Okay. Yeah, I feel like that's the cramming is hard too. Like I crammed Clone Wars too. I I just tried to kind of get it all in really fast. All the seasons were out, you know, just tried to blast the whole thing. And I liked it, but it was just like drinking from a fire hydrant. And I feel like I just didn't get the experience because you're trying to kind of, okay, I finished one, start one, finish one, start one, finish one. And you just don't get a lot of like the finer details as you're doing that. Well, and the Clone Wars jumps it around. Does. It's not done yeah, chronologically it does, either. So. I don't know. I, I might, Haley, you're going to have to come up with like a list for us. Like I trust you to make a list. I better. just did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but take, no, but I know it's going to happen. Here, you're going to go look at like the list. You're going to be, oh, wait, no, season two, episode seven, they say this. And they, no, like you're going to look at no, it. No. And you're going to go, oh, wait, I need this, this, and this too. So I think for Ahsoka, the show, I think those are your. I think those are your staples. Like you should okay. watch those if you want. No, I to. do want I mean, to. I do think it'll be accessible otherwise. Yeah, though. and you'll have to go back to Bad Batch season one to watch the. <laughs> Stop giving me shows. <laughs> I got too many shows to watch. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched any of. I watched the first episode of Bad Batch actually with you two, with Jay Scotty and Haley. Oh yeah, and oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's the first ep- first like two episodes, but I never yeah. did a. Uh, Never did go back. I kept being like, that was pretty good. I'll check it out. Never did. <laughs> um, I'll probably, they'll probably have some uh, live action crossover and I'll go back and marathon that at some point too. <laughs> Up next, DC dropped its final trailer for Blue Beetle, releasing in theaters on August 18th. The trailer shows an extended look at the Scarab AI that selects Jaime Reyes as its host and shows us more of the film's villain. I like this trailer. I didn't love this trailer. And I think that's because it kind of committed the cardinal sin. And I can't really fault Mm -hmm. it for doing so when you're getting so close to the release window here. But I I just feel like it gave too much of the plot away and it kind of like lost some confidence. It's like we need to lay this all out there for people that are on the fence so that they know what they're getting into. But I find myself kind of being able to, I think all the pieces are there. I'm able to kind of put this plot together 
and know how things are going to shake out. So yes, we did see more of the indestructible man, but I have my reservations about whether or not he's ultimately going to be the big bad. But I, I do like the through line about family. Family is a theme that's been tackled um, in a lot of other properties. Shazam kind of comes to mind, but hopefully this is a more successful outing that kind of focuses on family. But uh, I still, I think the lead, uh, Jolo Matoeno, like he seems like he's really, you know, um, the right guy for the role and, uh, you know, the right guy to bring Jaime Reyes to life. And I'm I'm still excited for this one. I'm going to be there day one to check it out, and I hope that this trailer did enough to get those people that were on the fence. But uh, yeah, we'll we'll see. Yeah, this movie does have a hill to climb. We've talked about it before uh, over the last few weeks when we've brought it up, but it is going to have to jump the DC hurdle, and it's going to. We know. I think we feel pretty confident. I think most people feel confident that Superman Legacy will be able to jump the DC hurdle since it is presented as the James Gunn. Actually, he wrote it, he directed it type thing. Uh, I know that they are selling Blue Beetle as being a part of this new universe, but I don't know if the audience has quite accepted that yet, right? So there's still a little bit of work to do here. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful for it because I think it looks fun and it looks like a good property. And, um, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see. But it's it's got some strategizing to do to try to, to, try to get itself where it needs to be. I thought the trailer looked fun. Um, I <laughs> there's that moment where he's cutting the bus in half, which just happened. There's like two Marvel properties with buses being cut in half recently. <laughs> uh, we got Shang-Chi and Doctor Strange. And this one looked almost exactly like what happened to Doctor Strange, which I thought was weird. Um, when he cuts the bus <laughs> in half, though, when he puts his hands on his face, like his look into cam- he almost he almost had like a Deadpool look into camera. He's like, oh, no. Like, I don't know. It just felt weird. <laughs> yeah. like, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to reference Marvel three times. I really didn't. Um, but like... Uh, I yeah I, I agree with Scoots that like this felt like it was revealing way too much. The grandmother picking up the gun I feel like could have been a really fun moment in theaters and like yeah. I completely feel that joke that it's gonna fall flat now because I know about it. Um, right. It's not gonna be surprised. It's, it's seems like it was supposed to be a big surprising thing and it's not at all. Um, so I don't know. Looks 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 good. Looks uh, serviceable as a action movie, Ooh. but like. That word yeah. serviceable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I, sounds like you're planning on catching it on Max a couple months later. <laughs> yes, I think it's probably yeah, which is exactly know. the problem. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, you got, I, I, I just keep going back and forth because, like, you know, you're talking about being successful and how it has to get over that uh, James Gunn of it all and like all this stuff. And um, is it or is it not in the universe? And I just think about like what is the mechanism that makes these movies successful? And we've talked about this a lot, but it's like, I don't think the successful or not depends on the people who are um, really familiar with all this background drama. That is such a small portion of the population, I feel like. But what it does kind of depend on is those people liking it enough to spread the word Mm -hmm. and tell their friends and family to go see it. But like, if the trailers are fun enough and if it's interesting enough to people, um, I think it can get over that hurdle just by being an interesting movie and having good trailers, which I think it has. The one thing is, uh, I really, this was my one take on it that I thought. And then like, I'm realizing it's another Marvel reference. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But speaking of Cardinal sins, yeah, the, the whole, like he's a guy who's in a suit that has its own desires and he can kind of control it and kind of not. And like the fact that this, in this, uh, trailer that he talks to it a little more and you kind of get that sense. It feels like uh, Venom. Don't say it. 
it feels like a venom thing with like technology <laughs> instead of symbiote, you know, uh, and probably a less interesting venom because venom has its like really kind of interesting and funny personality and kind of dark, whereas this seems like it's going to be a little more Jarvisy. Uh, there you go, hat trick. <laughs> That's more than a hat trick, but five Marvel references <laughs> for this movie. Sorry, guys. You didn't say Iron Man, so that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, uh, everybody's so down. I, I'm looking forward to it. So I do agree this trailer wasn't my favorite. I thought the first, the teaser was way stronger of a trailer. Got me really hyped for it, but I think it is doing what Jay said. It's battling things. It's battling what happened to the Flash, and it definitely they don't want it to do that, which I understand. Um, it's going to be in August, so maybe it won't have as much of a box office issue to deal with, like, uh, these June and July movies have had, but I think it looks really fun, and I'm still very much looking forward to seeing it. Up next, we have uh, Secret Invasion star Kingsley Benadir, who plays Gravik, will play reggae icon Bob Marley in the biopic One Love, coming to theaters on January 12th, 2024. This trailer is very interesting. I think it's going to spread a really nice message about peace and love. And I think that's obviously what Marley was all about. It's what his music was about. That's what he wanted to put out into the world. And something that's very cool is that the Marley family produced this with Paramount. And so you know that it has their buy-in, which is always important, especially with a biopic about a very beloved figure uh, in the arts community. And I couldn't find, I tried and tried to see if Kingsley Benadir is doing his own singing, couldn't figure it out. So I'd love it if he was, because I think that always makes things so much more special when I'm watching these movies, like with Austin Butler and Elvis. I could buy into it so much more knowing how much of his work ethic went into the role. So I I had only just seen this when Jay put it in the news hopper, and I'm very much looking forward to it. Yeah, I think this trailer looks great. I found myself tearing up. Mm-hmm. Um, in through part of the trailer, and yeah. I'm interested in how it will tackle um, the idea of peace and defiance, because like those two concepts are so antithetical in a way. Because yeah. it, it, you know, it, it's just like when people are being oppressed in this movie, there are clearly there's clearly oppression happening. I don't know much about uh, this uh, th- this time period or this conflict that he's in the middle of, um, and I didn't expect it when I saw it was going to be a music biopic. I was like, oh, cool, and I was like, oh, this looks like it's going to be a little more more than a music biopic. It's always an interesting question of like, you know, it's the no justice, no peace thing. It's like mm-hmm. you, you, you want peace and that's what he was all about, but also he is in the face of this terrible thing. And, yeah. um, and I, I'm just interested to see how they will handle that and like what the message of this movie will be in the end. And um, yeah, it, but goodness, Kingsley Benadir, amazing. Uh, in this trailer, he's amazing. He's been great on Secret Invasion, and I can't wait to see what he does with this character, uh, with this you know yeah. actual historical figure. <laughs> I always like music biopics because music is always so indicative of the period of history that it's made in. Mm. And so it's a really nice lens into the world that we're going to see through something we're probably at least a little familiar with. Yeah, yeah absolutely. All right, the first trailer for Ridley Scott's next Epic war film Napoleon has debuted. The film stars Joaquin Phoenix and Vanessa Kirby and has a theatrical release date of November 22nd. 
Yeah, this is the most Ridley Scott trailer that you could. If <laughs> if you just told an AI to generate a Ridley Scott trailer, like this is exactly <laughs> what you would get. I mean, uh, but it looks really cool. Like it, it looks like he's committed to really bringing the scale of Napoleon's life to the screen. And Joaquin Phoenix looks like a great choice for the role. I'm getting like uh, he he famously played the emperor in gladiator which was a ridley scott movie as well and uh, i was getting a lot of vibes of him from that role in this role uh, vanessa kirby is going to be in it as well as kind of like the um the um kind of love interest of napoleon and kind of the the secondary main character to the whole thing so um yeah i'm really it's got me really interested in this movie it is going to debut on apple tv plus but they are going to give it a theatrical run first which is good so um, they're doing this with the Apple TV Plus adjacent movies like um, the Killers yep, of the Flower Thank you, Haley. <laughs> I was like <laughs> Moon something. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that these movies are getting theatrical runs, too. Really, Scott has done a number of like historical epics, but this one really feels like it's the first. We have Gladiator 2 on the way, obviously, but this one feels like the follow up to Gladiator in the sense that. You had Joaquin Phoenix wanting, like, as this power-hungry antagonist in the first one, trying to ascend as emperor, and now he actually gets to be the emperor in this one. So I just had to note the connections there. But one thing I, I found mm. myself on the fence about is, like, Joaquin Phoenix is basically doing the same voice he does in The Joker. He's doing this <laughs> kind of soft-spoken, like, there's a tremble to his voice and whatnot. And I was like, would I have preferred him take a stab at a French accent? Would that have like, you know, bought me into the world more? But I, I trust his, you know, sensibilities as an actor. He's, you know, he's an Oscar winner. So I, I think if a couple of minutes into the film, I will probably let that go. But it's like, why do people have to sound, you know, English or British when they're clearly, you know, from another part of Europe? Why don't the English teach their children how to speak? Yeah. Is it because I have to do it on every episode? There's a there's a great thing on you know Star Trek. Uh, uh, <laughs> oh, we're losing we're losing Twitch count. viewers. <laughs> we're losing. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> drops immediately. Uh, we, we're, we we Jean Luc Picard is French, but he's English. And then they finally, after like you know thirty years of that being like a meme and a joke, they explained in the most recent season of Picard that he like was born in France, but quickly moved to London to like for school <laughs> or something. And like and I was like, okay, you you did it. You, you finally explained it after we made fun of it for 35 years or whatever. It's crazy. Hey, um, uh, if people didn't know what I was referring to, it was My Fair Lady, by the way. <laughs> Some people might not have caught that reference. Uh, Pedro Pascal's in Gladiator 2, by the way. I don't know if you guys know. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yes? Oh, heck yeah. Wait, are you really don't know? I mean, come on. I don't yeah, know. It's been on. a long time since I've seen Gladiator. We talked about that like 18 weeks ago. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, didn't remember that either. We were getting points every time we talked about Pedro. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my thoughts on this uh, trailer, I I think, just got to your point with his voice, I think it's a a bigger thing. Like, I feel like most of Ridley Scott's kind of period pieces, they tend to sort of at least try to be a little period-y with their dialogue. This one does seem to be doing something a little different with, like, the characters just seem to be speaking in modern dialect a little Mm. more. And I'm wondering if that's like just a, a choice he's made. I not that he they're really speaking in <laughs> old ways, but like sometimes it just feels like they're speaking in almost Shakespearean ways. And like mm-hmm. uh, some of some of these movies, uh, this one does not seem that way. It seems a lot more just like casual or something. And uh, I don't know. I also like 
I know very little about the real Napoleon story, but one of the only things I know and almost in no one I've ever talked to has known it because I love this is the thing where he drew, he drew an army out onto a frozen lake and right. blew and, and shot, he shot cannons and balls into the lake. And by firing a few cannons, he took out an entire army. And like, I think that is so like, you know, he, that military strategist, he's just, that's such a cool uh, idea. And it's so like, it's so weird and like you'd think of it, but you'd never actually do it, but he did it. And I'm, I'm kind of excited. This movie's actually like going to put that on screen because people will know about it. And I always thought that was a really cool historical moment or whatever. I also don't know much about the Napoleon history. So, and I didn't have time to watch the trailer. I'm over to <laughs> on this one. I happened to his tomb in Paris and it's a testament to his ego because it's like a tomb with, it's like a seven layer, um, tomb that he's laid to rest in and of course he's famously kind of a smaller statured person and so mm-hmm. you just have to imagine this huge thing that you stand in front of is actually like really small i'll do a napoleon cast uh later in the week you know um i'm i'm a yeah. world history teacher uh i got my napoleon powerpoints i'll get them out you know we'll do the whole thing it's just <laughs> nice and I don't know why. I think probably because every pie talks about the Napoleonic complex, and often that's like a villain thing or like something. You know, I always think of Napoleon as sort of like a nefarious character in history, and also just anyone who tries to world domination doesn't seem like a great thing. But like this trailer seems to be setting up as the hero of at least this part of the story, and I, like I think that's interesting. I don't know. Like, give me a different take on Napoleon that I kind of have in my head. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. We've had you know like historical figures like. Christopher Columbus comes to mind like he was celebrated for so many years and then we kind of like retroactively realized what a tyrant he was but Napoleon has always kind of been held in that regard it's like yeah he's celebrated for being this brilliant strategist but he was also a tyrant and he was also mm-hmm. kind of like cuckolded is that the way you say that cuckolded I, I, I cuckolded mm-hmm. he was a cuckold to this this woman that's being portrayed by Vanessa Kirby I think it's Josephine uh, but yeah, so it's it's just interesting how some historical characters kind of like are held in this regard in this light while other ones it's like all their dirty laundry was always like laid bare mm. and I think it just speaks to how many enemies he had during his lifetime. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, I, yeah, I'm I'm fascinated. And I'd love to we should definitely cover this somewhere and Jay you should be on since you know a lot about <laughs> Napoleon. <laughs> like we should talk about this somewhere. Um it's cool. Okay, the ninth film in the Conjuring franchise, The Nun 2, has a new trailer to horrify audiences. The film is set to premiere on September 8th. When it comes to the Conjuring-verse, if you will, I think it's pretty hit or miss. And the one thing the Nun films have done repeatedly is they are kind of the masters of the jump scare in their trailer. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. um, they continued that trend here. It was a great jump scare, so... uh, I do think the imagery and atmosphere associated with The Nun is pretty well done. The first film wasn't super, super memorable for me. Uh, But I guess what kind of stuck with me this time around is uh, Tysa Farmiga returning. And she's the younger sibling of Vera Farmiga, who has appeared in a number of The Conjuring films um, alongside uh, Patrick Wilson. Uh, I'm going to forget the name of the couple. But, you know, they're like the paranormal investigators mm, yeah. with the whole closet with uh, the room with Annabelle and everything like that. So um, seeing Tysa kind of have like grown up on on screen, it's, she's looking more and more like her sister. Um, and it seems like she has the same level of talent. So hopefully this one will be better than the first one. Um, I will probably hold off until I hear what the word of mouth 
is on this one. Not only are they good at jump scares in their trailers, but they're also good at jump scares for people who don't want to watch their trailers, like me, who nearly had a heart attack whenever The Nun came out. And on YouTube, <laughs> they put these ads where it was like just your volume button, and it was going up and down. And you're like, what's going on with my volume button? And then all of a sudden, The Nun would just be like, come out of nowhere, and about made me, you know, have a stroke. So uh, <laughs> let's, uh, let's tone down the, uh, the jump scares uh, for people who maybe aren't interested this time around. Mm. <laughs> it reminds me of those videos that you used to send around the internet back in like yes, the exactly like, what I was going to say yeah. E-bombs world where I'd be like listen closely for this yes. strange paranormal thing and you'd like zoom in you'd be like really close and you're listening for like so, oh listen to what the ghost says in the background it's crazy and then it's just like uh, uh, big face jumps on the screen and it screams yep I woke up the entire house screaming at one of those one time <laughs> I was thinking of the maze game where it's like make it through this maze without touching the walls so you're like super zoomed in and then they show you Reagan from the exorcist and she's like <laughs> oh man no I had to do that it's really good <laughs> there's another there's another form of those that I like better of those videos where it's uh, kind of the same thing like listen closely you know, turn up your audio, and then it says, "Welcome to this porn site!" Like really loud. <laughs> like, and there's just like you do, you do it in the you send it to your friends in the, while they're in the office or whatever. It's just like. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> uh, up next, we're going to talk about our Spotify poll for last week. Our, our question was, uh, "What upcoming Marvel property do you think Doctor Strange will appear in?" Um, and uh, you guys, like we said, uh, Agatha Coven of Chaos uh, was was that first choice with sixty five point eight percent. But I, I found it interesting that the the rest were spread pretty evenly. Like Blade, Brave New World, Loki, and Fantastic Four all got a few votes. Yeah. Um, top one being Loki at twelve point three. Mm. Uh, I just think it's interesting that like, mm. and I can see it. Like Blade mm-hmm. makes sense. Brave sure. New World makes sense because it's kind of an Avengers mm. style movie. Uh, Loki absolutely makes sense because you can go anywhere and do anything. And uh, I think it's Fantastic Four is an interesting choice. Like five people voted Fantastic Four. And I, <laughs> I don't think of that one being one that would. I'm one of the them, five, I, oh. and here's why. Yes, please. Loki's wrapped. It's done. There's a trailer ready. It's hitting in a couple months. Okay. Agatha True. has finished filming. All right. Now that doesn't mean mm. they can't go back and add mm. another scene. All right. They can definitely go back and add another scene. I think content wise definitely makes the most sense for Agatha for sure. Um, but that's the reason I chose Fantastic Four. Cause I was like, what movie? Cause uh, brave new world is filming now too. So I was kind of like, what movie is like gonna start filming probably next year, but has not started yet. So that's why I chose Fantastic mm. Four. And maybe the other four yeah. people with me did had the same thought process. Yeah. Deadpool three wasn't included in the in the poll, and I still think that you know could be a candidate. It's in the middle of filming right now, but um, I'm kind of with you, Jay. Outside of like the movie insider like perspective, when it comes to Fantastic Four, I think it also makes a lot of sense knowing that we're still headed towards Secret Wars, and Doctor Strange and Doctor Doom were kind of like cohorts in the the new iteration of Secret Wars that we got. Plus, you know, Doctor Strange is a magic guy while the Fantastic Four are primarily associated with science, but Doctor Doom is a magic guy, and this is the multiverse saga. So Doctor Strange is currently dealing with incursions. The John Krasinski version of Reed Richards spoke up to speak on his knowledge about incursions and the multiverse. So um, the more I think about it, I think that one does actually make a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a good point. Those are great Mm -hmm. points. 
All right, up next, let's run into the lightning round. You guys know how this works. Uh, it, I'm going to say a story. It's kind of just the headline instead of a full story. And you guys get to buzz in using your names to claim uh, the response to that story. Uh, every every story just gets the one person responding unless someone uses their single, single everybody, one rebuttal each round, each of the rounds. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, each of the the full lightning round, so that way we get through these stories a little quicker. That's right, whatever I say, <laughs> commoners. Uh, <laughs> way to bring it full circle. <laughs> <laughs> All right, up, up first in the lightning round, best-selling graphic novel and webcomic creator Nathan Pyle will see his creation come to life on Apple TV Plus with the debut of Strange Planet in August. Rick and Morty and Community co-creator Dan Harmon serves as executive producer for the 10-episode adult animated series. Haley. (laughs) Beachy Scotty. They keep making things that make me want to get Apple TV Plus, because this is definitely one of them. I love Nathan Pyle, and I love his little web comics. They're so spot-on funny smart i'm always like i'm relating to this little tiny bald alien he's me and i'm him and if it's gonna be something like that then i'm definitely in i'll use a rebuttal on this one (laughs) that's fair i stole your medium (laughs) no it's 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 all good i'm glad that you kind of spoke on it but um i have not read the graphic any of the graphic novels from nathan Pyle, but i definitely recognize his comics from like social media and i just think that's kind of an interesting thing like he's one of these first ones that really comes to mind in terms of like cartoonist who like they didn't get their start in like the funny pages of like a, you know, well-distributed newspaper. They cut their teeth on social media. And I just think that's really um, interesting there, but also with like Dan Harmon's involvement, the only mm-hmm. person on the voice cast that I recognize at all is Daniel Pudi mm-hmm. from, uh, oh, neat. yeah, from community. So I think he's kind of perfect to portray an alien and yeah, these, <laughs> The comics are, you know, very relatable, very um, kind of just like embracing the mundane nature of life, but how absurd some of the little things that are just like part of our society really are if you were to look at it from the perspective of an alien. So um, in that regard, I I give kudos to Apple Plus TV for like they seem to be one of these streaming services that are really willing to like take chances and make investments a little bit. I think some of the other big players have become a little more – hesitant to do that so um it's keeping keeping me paying my five dollars or six dollars whatever a month <laughs> it is for apple plus tv apple tv mm-hmm. plus i think pound for pound apple tv is i shouldn't be responding i guess i'm using my rebuttal <laughs> the system's broken <laughs> apple tv plus is uh, pound for pound like one of the best everything they put out i've enjoyed like i haven't had a show that i've really disliked on apple tv plus um and some of and there have been a number that are like some of my favorites um so yeah i i will definitely check this out and i love dan Hartman. so i respect the rules so i'm not gonna say anything <laughs> yeah right <laughs> jay's a rule follower <laughs> <laughs> i have a code okay <laughs> I have a code. <laughs> I love that so much because, like, the whole trope of having rules, obeying the rules versus having a code is like you don't care about society's rules, but you do have a code that's just based in like real ethics of deep down, you know? Yeah. And like, I love that your ethics of deep down are that you don't say things and extra things in the lightning round. Like, somehow that's like part of your just like internal, internal morality is that you don't speak on more things in the lightning round. I love it. Yeah, except it's not true. 
<laughs> doesn't have to be true. We're, we're, we're all the, oh, okay. <laughs> all these are all these are fictional stories around here. <laughs> every, every word is made up, <laughs> and so are my promises. <laughs> Next up in the lightning round. Shang-Chi star Simu Liu confirmed on Meta's new Twitter competitor threads that the highly anticipated sequel to Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings has been delayed, saying, uh, was told it would be, would follow Avengers, but that keeps pushing back due to circumstances beyond my control. Matt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is, this is interesting. Uh, just the, the idea, like, I hate it. I hate it. It's kind of this result of... They've put out a bunch of new properties, like a bunch of number ones have happened, you know, of of all of these movies, and now they're pushing back their flagship that's supposed to combine them all, and that means all of these characters that got introduced, Shang-Chi, you know, um, uh, Werewolf by Night, uh, just all of them, all of them, like so many number, like so many origin stories in phase four are not going to get their second part for so long because of these pushbacks. And that makes it hard for audiences to connect when we're so used to characters coming back after a year nowadays or six months or showing up in TV shows. And now it's going to be like four or five years before we see these characters again. Shang-Chi was amazing and it's already been what two years and it's going to be another four. Yeah. It's terrible. I got to respond to this one to say that. I mean, in my view i thought shang chi was it's well I, I think guardians is probably my favorite movie from phase four but i think it's the second best movie from phase four i thought it was a great introduction simu liu is fantastic people love him the world building that they did was awesome and to have to keep kicking that down like i don't get that decision i feel like you gotta strike these properties when they're hot and um he seems like he should be a core character in this universe moving forward so um, this is disappointing to hear for sure yeah, it feels almost like they ended the movie with that uh, lead in to Avengers. Mm-hmm. And so he's supposed to appear in the next Avengers, and then they've got some things to happen to him that are supposed to lead into his next movie. And so they just keep pushing Avengers back, which means he just keeps getting pushed back further and further and further. And it's terrible. I'll, I'll chime in on this one as well, just to kind of maybe soothe the pain a little bit. Like towards the end of the article, Simu Liu did indicate that. While it might not be a Shang-Chi sequel forthright that we're going to see sooner rather than later, he did kind of hint that you'll probably be seeing the character of Shang-Chi interacting in the Marvel Cinematic Universe sooner rather than later. Good. I'm betting on the Marvels. I think he'll show up. I really do because of where where we last saw him. Um, Okay. Up next in the lightning round, (laughs) where where everyone is out of rebuttals. Are they? No? Uh, No. Oh, Haley's got a rebuttal. (laughs) I, I can do tell by the, the eyes. The eyes she shot me. She has a rebuttal. I do have a rest. code. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, it was another disappointing week in the box office with Insidious: The Red Door opening to thirty-two point seven million dollars domestic box office, taking the top spot away from Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which only brought in twenty-six point five million domestically in its second weekend. Jay. Yeah, I mean, we said it was going to happen. That B-plus cinema score, that's what it means. It means that there's going to be a steep fall-off from the opening weekend. So this is definitely continuing the trend from last week that we talked about with Indiana Jones. This is very good for Insidious, though. Horror films are in a really cool and interesting place if you're into that genre. They're doing really well at the box office. And horror movies tend to have very low budgets. I think 
this budget for this movie was very low compared. We're used to seeing these budgets be like 150, 200 million dollars for these like huge action-packed movies, and a lot of these horror films sneak in to theaters with like 15, 16 million dollar budgets, and then uh, go out and draw huge crowds. So I think it's a really exciting time to be a horror fan. You're seeing levels of success. You're seeing fan bases being built. Uh, this movie did have a connection to a franchise that obviously helps. Also, I don't appreciate the uh, trailer that keeps being shown to me of him in the MRI scan and then the ghost coming up and attacking him. I feel like that's kind of encroaching on my territory a little bit. I don't want to see that while I'm trying to, you know, watch TV. But um, overall, I think if uh, I think if uh, you love if you love horror, this is a this is a cool time to be a horror fan. Very cool. Up next, the faith-based movie about child sex trafficking, The Sound of Freedom, made headlines after earning $40 million in its first week of release and placing third at the box office. Despite high-profile, big-budget competition and controversy surrounding statements from its lead, Jim Caviezel. Scotty. I thought this one was pretty interesting because coming off of the last topic we just tackled there with the poor returns at the box office like this movie had a budget of like 14 million and it made 40 million dollars in the first six days of release and like that's pretty impressive but it's not been without its controversy like it is a pretty difficult subject matter i don't know if i'm going to see this movie Um, i'm leaning towards probably not even though i have heard from reviewers that are somewhat you know as objective and unbiased as they can be. Like they've said, it's a very moving film and um, a film that probably needs to be seen, but it is a difficult viewing experience with the subject matter that's being tackled. But I I do think it's a little bit of a shame that, you know, Jim Caviezel's um, prior comments, you know, and kind of in support of some conspiracy theory groups out there, I'll let you look that up for yourself. Just the fact that it's Mm. going to mire this film in any any way. And I really think that just like goes back to, these production companies, no matter how big you are, when you, you know, attach star talent, you really need to do that vetting process and see what kind of baggage they're going to be bringing with them. The other aspect of the story that I thought was really interesting, particularly with the numbers that it pulled on July 4th, a lot of headlines were indicating like this movie actually outperformed uh, the dial of destiny on July 4th, which is absolutely insane that a small movie like that would do this. But that, whether how true that is kind of remains to be seen because this in, this movie has implemented a very interesting like marketing and ticket strategy where it's um it's got this you know with Jim Caviezel having popped up in the film pay it forward they're offering this program where people can pay it forward and pay for people that may not be able to afford to go see this movie they will buy the ticket for them and all they have to do is basically go to like through this website to get the will call and redeem the ticket and be able to go so whether or not those sales impacted the numbers that we saw on July 4th, uh, I, I think we'll have to wait a little bit to see how exactly that all shakes out. But I think, you know, maybe big budget studios could learn a thing or two about taking a more unconventional approach when it comes to raising awareness about your films because the current approach doesn't seem to be working more often than not with the numbers we've seen here lately. I'll use my rebuttal to say that Human trafficking in this country is definitely not talked about in the way it should be. I live in the middle of the country, and it's actually because of where I live, I'm around so many major interstates and highways, we're a crossroads for this kind of thing. And sometimes when I'm out and about, I try to put my mind in this place to remember to keep my eyes out and not just ignore the people around me, which we all just tend to do these days. It's easier to worry about yourself and 
worry about yourself is a pretty good way of thinking a lot of the times in terms of, um, you know, don't be putting all your beliefs on other people, but be looking out for your fellow man because this stuff happens just every single day in every state in this country. And it's it could be as simple as you noticing something that looks really off and just taking it upon yourself to try to help. Not all heroes wear capes. Sorry to drag it down, but it is important. No, I'm mm. glad I needed to be said, so thank you. All right. Up next, a deleted scene confirming the High Evolutionary's fate was released, showing that the widely hated villain is indeed alive, if not 100% well. This is a different ending than most Marvel's villains receive. Haley, uh, I think this is really cool that they did this, and I put widely hated in there because I think everybody hated the High Evolutionary, and that is what James Gunn wanted you to feel. And so now we have a villain that I think everybody universally dislikes and he's still around. And so the potential for the stories with the high evolutionary, especially moving forward with the mutant stories we could have and the way he likes to quote, improve society and improve beings, I think could still be really fascinating. So James Gunn left the Marvel cinematic universe, but he kind of left us this gift of this awful villain that we could still continue to use in the future. We've lost so many good ones already and now we get to keep one. Still think they should have killed him. <laughs> Up next. Hey, that's a rebuttal. <laughs> I had to slip it in. On Monday, SAG-AFTRA officials laid down groundwork for the impending strike, saying members of the Guild would not be able to do any press or social media promotion should a strike go into effect. Actors will be allowed to attend Comic-Con, but only if they don't participate in a studio-run panel or press event. The union is advising against any participation, however. Uh, the deadline for negotiations is now the night of July 12th, which is today, if you're listening to this podcast, you know, not when we're recording. <laughs> Jay, um, yeah, I mean, you may be listening to this podcast on Friday, and there may the actors may be on strike by that point. And I will tell you that just kind of, finger on the pulse it does not seem like there's a lot of optimism in hollywood there's reports coming out if you look at this on all the major trade sites there's reports like all the big studio execs are clearing their schedules and making their calls and getting people in and trying to hammer out deals and all this type of stuff but i mean the actors are out making picket signs the guild is sending out do's and don'ts and things like that to its members like that tells me that there is not a lot of optimism that there's going to be any movement here. I think this is why we saw so much movement today on all these trailers. Like uh, Warner Brothers released Blue Beetle and they released Wonka. That's two trailers from the same studio at the same time. They released both at like noon. That never happens because you don't want your your convert. You don't want the trending topics to be cannibalizing each other. So then you got the Ahsoka trailer right in the middle of it, and then you got. Um, all this type of stuff just coming out at one time. You got Ryan Reynolds throwing up pictures of uh, of Wolverine. Like I think a lot of that movement happened because they're trying to kind of get ahead of this impending actor strike. Um, I'm sure this is something that if it happens that we'll be talking about in the coming weeks. Uh, an actor strike paired with a writer strike is really the worst case scenario as far as uh, creating content and seeing the moving of content. Um, uh, happen like this is uh this is kind of as as bad as it can really get i mean you're gonna see productions that 
um, not only have been finished get delayed now, but you're also going to see productions that are supposed to start in some capacity not be able to start at all. A new trailer for Suicide Squad, Isekai, dropped. An upcoming anime series starring Harley Quinn and the Joker. It's made by Warner Brothers Japan and Wit Studio. Scotty. I knew it. We didn't get a lot from this trailer. It was about a 49-second trailer, but uh, my main takeaways were that the animation style looks really, really cool. Um, Wit Studio, they're known for a number of projects, but I would think most notably here recently, it has been Spy Family, which is a a wonderful, wonderful anime. It's got a great mix of action, also like, you know, family shenanigans, and it's just absolutely hysterical. There have been few shows that have made me like laugh out loud consistently as Spy Family. Um, and the music, like, you, we saw Harley Quinn and the Joker kind of riding around and doing their maniacal thing, but the music really kind of gave it this more positive, like upbeat vibe. Like this is going to be a lot of fun. So um, I will be waiting for this one with bated breath. I think it looks really, really good. Yeah, man. Well, that brings us to the end of the lightning round, my friends. We have done it again. Another episode of Multiverse News in the books. And uh, we started this week thinking, man, there's not much in the in the uh, dock yet. There's just not much, many news stories. And then, as Jay said, so many things dropped uh, here in the last few, uh, really, hours and today. Uh, so uh, it was an exciting week here. So thanks for joining us. Uh, everybody, let them know where they can find you online. Haley Hobbs. Yeah, find me at Source Pages, where we read comics and novels as primers for all the geeky TV shows and movies you love. We just finished our Secret Invasion primers, and we talked about Secret Wars earlier. We're probably going to continue our big deep dive into Secret Wars while we have a break. Sweet. And uh, uh, J. Scotty St. Clair? Animation Deliberation is your destination for all things action and animation. So check out everything we're doing there wherever you get your podcast, Animation Deliberation. So much rhyming in that one. I liked it. And uh, Jay Sisson. Um, you can find me at Commute the Podcast, a 20-minute weekly educational show where we try to talk about three interesting things that you didn't know on your way to work. So if you got about a 20-minute commute, come uh, come hang out with us. Awesome. Uh, well, my friends, thanks for joining us. And uh, yeah, you can find me at uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe Podcast. Please check it out. We've got a lot of good stuff happening over there with Secret Invasion. Lots of conversation. Jay was on last yeah. night. So uh, me and Jay talked about a Secret Invasion for like an hour and 15 minutes. It was a really fun conversation. Um, so go check that out. Um, and we'll be back soon, guys. Peace. You stay classy, multiverse. <laughs>